Hello and welcome to the Foundation for a Drug-Free World of the Americas Chapter podcast. We're very excited to be bringing everybody this new limited series called Rebels. This podcast will be highlighting women, men, all types of leaders who are doing something about the drug issue in our country, letting people realize that they don't have to go down that path and really setting an example of a life that you can have of success without turning to drugs. And so in this limited series, many of you have already heard from our special guests, including Miss Los Angeles County, Dan Schneider from The Pharmacist, Noah Burrows of the NFL, and many of our other all-star interviewees. But today we have a very special guest who happens to be our last guest in this series. Please welcome Miss Darren Dahlem, who is Miss Arkansas for 2019 and 2020. So thank you so much for being here with us, Darren. No, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and be, I guess I'm about to clean up if I'm the last person, right? <laughs> well, no, I should have prefaced it with last but not least. Perfect. Okay, even better. <laughs> exactly. Or save the best for last. <laughs> <laughs> the one that gets her, her title for two years in the Miss America system. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we were just talking about that, how this is the first time in history that a Miss Arkansas has had the title for two years in a row. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, when um, all the coronavirus stuff really started taking off, the Miss America pageant decided to stop what they were doing and go ahead and cancel the 2020 Miss America competition, which would have actually been the 100th year, uh, the 100th anniversary of the Miss America pageant. And so when that all happened, all the state pageants decided to stop. And so Miss Arkansas asked for me to retain my title and continue to represent the state. And so that's what I'm doing. And so it's kind of crazy though, because the, usually what happens is when you're crowned Miss Arkansas, you take the rest of your year off from whatever else you did outside of the pageant. So if that means you had a job, if you were a full-time student, um, you kind of drop what you're doing because I was in a different city every day. Um, I was going to schools and, and rotary clubs and meetings and, you know, festivals and parades and everything all over the state. And so there was no way that I was going to have a job or be a student and be able to do that. And so it was the best job ever. And unfortunately, it kind of all got halted. March 17th, I think, was the last uh, public appearance that I had before COVID hit. So that was really sad. And so when they called me, I said, well, can I still start medical school? Because I'm supposed to be starting this year. And they said yes. And so I'm also juggling the being a first year medical student and then also being Miss Arkansas and trying to balance that too. So that'll be interesting. Oh my God, that is unbelievable. <laughs> I know. So already to me, medical school or law school are both very intimidating things yes yeah especially when you're on the inside <laughs> did you actually start yeah so I started my first day of class was August 10th and I had orientation the week before that and I remember actually the Sunday before so we're not doing any in-person classes except for our um, anatomy lab that we have where we have the cadavers and everything and we have that one day a week versus historically you have lecture every single day and as soon as lecture is over you go into the lab and, and look at the anatomy that you talked about in lecture. So now with us only having one day a week we're all broke up into groups and so my day is on Monday and 
other students have Tuesday and Thursday and whatever. To get to go see it, you're looking at a whole week's worth of anatomy on Monday for me before I've even learned about it really. So I remember looking at, through the book on Sunday, the day before first classes started and trying to make sure I could at least familiarize myself with what I was going to be seeing. And I have never felt so panicked reading a book in my life because I saw all these diagrams and all the muscles and all the nerves and all the arteries. And I just thought, yeah, there's no way I'm going to memorize these, but it's kind of like weightlifting. You start off lifting the bar and then you can get a little bit heavier each time. And so I'm still kind of lifting the bar but I'm, I've gotten a little bit better at it, but it was definitely a uh, shock. Wow. And that's just jump right into it. It is. It like, is, which I, you need to do that in med school, I think, and with a lot of things, it's easier to just jump right in. But I mean, you need to start learning the body as soon as you can to be a doctor. And there's a lot of parts that we didn't learn about in elementary school and high school and all that kind of stuff. And even college in my classes in physiology, all the muscles of the back and the chest and the arms and the abdomen and the fact that there's all these compartments within you. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And um, yeah. juggling that and even just having time to do a podcast where I'm not sitting here thinking, man, should I be doing some flashcards right now? <laughs> But you have to find that balance. So I, yes. this is my balance moment. Yes. But you know what? That it's, it's really interesting you say that because I've always been such a career woman. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was telling you, I, I lived in Manhattan for nine years and I was always go, 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 go. And really interested in, you know, I've been running Drug Free World now since 2006, which is when I graduated college. And so I've always been really excited about planning the next thing and doing the next thing and so on that for me, having to extract myself to cook dinner, which is something I never did living in the city is that's to me the most challenging thing. And and to be honest with you, I still haven't gotten into a schedule of doing that because I always think, oh, there's something more productive I could be doing right now rather than spending time cooking dinner. So I know it's a horrible analogy, but it reminds no, me of that. But it's actually, it actually is one. And it's, it's balancing that, that stress and the feeling of, of pressure and needing to do more. And then also finding time to be a human, whether that's exercising or cooking dinner or both or neither and something else. And you kind of have to realize that you shouldn't feel guilty for being human and not being a robot. And I've, I'm the same way. I love to bake, but my cooking skills are dismal. So I've been trying to figure out like little ways that I can cook that can be kind of healthy and easy for someone who doesn't know what they're doing. So like those 30 minute meals end up taking me an hour because I don't know what I'm doing. Yes, I understand completely. Well, I think this really right away, let everyone know who you are. I mean, just speaking to you and meeting you briefly just now, you seem to be a very on the go, very fast. Like I, I almost feel like I've never met anyone like you before. (laughs) Has anyone ever said that? No, a lot of people say that. And I'm thinking like, well, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Oh, it's a good Uh, thing for sure. (laughs) No, I've always been an an on-the-go person and constantly trying to find ways to better myself and do better. And that's actually how Know Who You Are got started because um, I started to realize that when you're on the go constantly, you find that sometimes you don't feel rooted um, because you're, especially life as a transient last year with Miss Arkansas, I was always in my car. And so realizing that I was losing little pieces of myself, even while I was building the person that I thought I wanted to be. And that's how Know Who You Are got started when I went to college for the first time. And I had just always grown up thinking about how, who I wanted to be and the goals that I had set for myself. And 
having those goals means that I couldn't, you know, fall into drugs and alcohol and partying with everybody else. Because if I got arrested for underage drinking, then I couldn't, you know, have been a doctor. I couldn't have been Miss Arkansas. So I had these goals. And then getting into college, you're in a completely new environment where everyone's doing it. And so when everyone is doing it, they're looking at you going, well, then why are you not everyone? The night that it happened was I was looking around and I realized that I hated where I was, even though I thought I liked the people I was with. Um, and there was a black Sharpie that was sitting on a counter next to me. And I, I wrote, know who you are on my wrist, as cliche as that is. And then for the next three days, as Sharpies do what Sharpies do and stay on your skin for a while, I watched it slowly fade away. But the message is something that stuck with me, realizing that just because, you know, I find myself in new environments and I'm trying to grow doesn't mean that I don't know who I am. And those setbacks are still something that I can internalize and grow from, even if it doesn't feel like it's exactly where I wanted to be or where I thought I would end up. Wow. That's actually an incredible story. And it's funny you say that because an interesting thing about college, and I can tell you this from my own experience, is there is a lot of binge drinking. And I never really understood that. I was never into that. I actually later on did have a tip because, well, let me backtrack. What Sometimes what would happen is people would like somehow know I wasn't holding a drink mm -hmm. and come up to me and be like, why aren't you drinking? And I'm yep. like, it was so strange to me because I thought I'm not like going around talking about this. I'm out. Like, I don't understand how they even notice. I always thought that was very strange. And maybe this sounds bad, but I, at one point I just decided to order seltzer, like seltzer water and carry that around and drink it so that at least no one would come up to me and be like, why are you drinking right now? It's yeah. so funny you say that. I did the same thing. So we would have, um, you know, like functions that we would do in college. And then when I got old enough to go to a bars and everyone was having their 21st birthdays and going to bars and stuff, I was always the one that left by like 11 at the latest maybe. But I did the same thing. I would go up to the bar and, and just say, can I have a water? And they'd look at me and I was like, yeah, just a, like put a lemon in it, but yes. just a water is fine. Um, and no one would ever say a word. And in fact, the waters would always come in the big drinks and like the big cups and people would be like, how did you get the big cup? And I'd be like, I'm just lucky. <laughs> um, and so it's so funny you say that because I think it's just a part of the group think and the atmosphere. I mean, we've all been to parties that we've had so much fun at and had just a great time. And there is kind of an atmosphere that goes around with it. And I think that when you add alcohol to the mix, it's the same type of energy where you all want to be together and doing the same things. And so when you see someone who's not doing it, you wonder if maybe they're not having a good time or maybe something's wrong. And so I think that it's just the, the type of environment that we've all been raised in is that, you know, we need to see if someone's okay and make sure they're having fun because alcohol is fun. And, and I think that we've forgotten that you can have a great time if you're sober. And sometimes it's even more fun because you watch the people around you. Yes. Wow. It's hearing you. It sounds like I'm talking to myself a little bit. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, it is a rare thing. And one other thing I want to touch on, because it's amazing what you said about know who you are and how that came about and writing it on your arm. That is such an important thing. You really, in life, there's another quote that I have too in my office where it basically describes at a certain point, if you want to be successful, you're going to have to get over caring what people think because that game never ends. Oh, it yeah. will always be the next thing about what you're supposed to be doing or what or caring what people think. And if you are always worried about that, 
you'll always be in that kind of that hamster the hamster wheel yeah yeah the hamster wheel thank you so you have to be yourself you have to know who you are and you have to be strong about that and at the end of the day people respect you more for sticking to that mm -hmm. so but that's amazing that you thought to write that on your arm i mean that's quite i've never heard anything like that in my life that's amazing it was, it was an act of desperation for sure <laughs> but um, and it's, and it's served me really well. And I think that that's something that we have to kind of change the curriculum around substance abuse, especially with younger kids. And so when I go into these schools, it's really difficult because I would speak to kindergartners through second grade, or I would speak through K through 12 some days if it was a small school, or I would only speak to high schoolers. And so what you say to kindergarten through second grade and even third and fourth grade is completely different from what you can talk about with a junior high student. Yes. Um, and you kind of have to understand that when you have addiction or when you grow up seeing addiction or when you feel like nothing else in your life is going on and you feel like you need to turn to substances, it's not because you just really wonder what it's like. And unfortunately, there are, there are times when kids are like, oh, I've heard about it and seen it on movies. Like, let's try it. But I think a lot of the people who become habitual users do so because they're missing something in their life. And so speaking to kids and teaching them to know who they are, to set goals for themselves, to, to know that they, they have self-worth and to teach them that self-worth. And then to go up in a junior high and, and, and sometimes lower high school and say, you know what, it's okay if you're not just like the person next to you. I mean, I was the high school mascot in high school. I ran for everything from student council to FFA to everything. And I, I didn't win a single thing. Um, I was always the person who ran for vice president and never became vice president. And I put posters up all over the hallway and then had to do the walk of shame and take oh them all down in the elections. What, what um, is FFA, by the way? Future Farmers of America. I don't know if that's just a Southern thing or not, but... Uh, <laughs> That's okay. That's why I have to ask, right? I'm sure other people yeah. don't know the abbreviation. Oh yeah, Future Farmers of America. That's the golden blue. Oh, that's is amazing. So even recently, up into college, I remember I applied for medical school my senior year. So what you do is over the summer between junior and senior year, you take your MCAT. It's eight hours long, and it's this big long test, and it's horrifying. And you take it, and then as soon as you finish taking it, you upload it along with this just blanket admissions page that has all your stuff on it and they send it off to all the medical schools and then you get called back for interviews or you get called back for secondary applications uh, and then you start hearing in around March or well, I guess January, February, March is when people start hearing. And so my whole life I was thinking like I'm a shoe man. I started doing stem cell research in undergrad I was you know a great student. I, I didn't have ever below a 3.8 GPA. I was just really, I did all this stuff with the Miss Arkansas organization, even though I hadn't become Miss Arkansas at that point and had all this volunteer stuff. And so then in February, I got this letter that told me that I had been rejected from all the schools. And oh my God. I remember I heard about it. It was a Monday um, around three o'clock that I got that letter. I didn't know really where to go because I was always someone who dreamed really big and somehow always managed to make those dreams come true. And then all of a sudden I have this rectangular envelope that tells me that, you know what, they might come true, but they also might not, but you're not going to be able to find that out until at least another year from now. So I had to figure out where to go from there. And it was so embarrassing. And that was probably the lowest I'd ever been because you know, everyone goes around saying, oh, you have nothing to worry about your issue in. And then all of a sudden, those same people ask, like, so did you get your letter? So have you heard? 
And I didn't want to be the person that was like, yeah, I mean, I didn't get in because I wasn't smart enough or I wasn't accomplished enough or whatever. And so I found myself saying like, oh, no, I haven't checked my mail yet. And um, and it's it's that type of self-shame, I think, that drives people to feel like instead of just embracing that pain and, and dealing with it head on, mask it, you know, and it, it lowers that self-worth to the point where, I mean, it felt like walking up a dark staircase and it's a staircase that you know by heart and you think that there's one more step on the top than there actually is. And so then you take that extra step and for those, you know, 0.5 seconds when your foot just falls through the darkness and you wonder, when am I going to hit the ground? Wow. That's that moment. When am I going to hit the ground? Like, is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? And by using substances or like if I had chosen to go out and drink or, or party or to use a substance that would maybe make me mellow out or feel better about my situation, I wouldn't have been dealing with those feelings and processing them in a healthy way. And so by not doing any of that stuff, I was able to get past it and I reapplied the next year. I ended up winning Miss Arkansas that summer, so I wouldn't have gotten to go anyway. And I uh, got my acceptance letter February of this year, a full year after oh, I got the rejection letter. So everything works out, even if it doesn't feel like that right now. But I think there's so much self-gratification and instant gratification that we have going on in the world today. Yeah. Kids don't think that just because they failed one time doesn't mean that they're going to ever stop failing, you know? Yes. You know, it's so, we should have spoken so long ago because it's amazing <laughs> what you're saying because a big component of our events that we do in New York is about goals and goal making because yes, we have our entire drug education curriculum and videos and so on. But at the events that we do, I like to also leave them with a tool and so, yes, here's the education on drugs. This is why you wouldn't go down that route. But now let's get real. And in life, sometimes you're going to feel really bad. You're going to feel sad, angry. You want to give up, all of these things. But if you have a goal, something you're working towards that you want to achieve in the future, you'll be willing to go through all of that because you want to get to that. You want to achieve that goal. But if you don't have a goal, you don't have something you're working towards, then who, who really cares? There's no point of anything. Exactly. And that's another thing is, you know, you see in Arkansas specifically, it's, it's the young kids that are having issues. I mean, we rank number one in um, drug abuse between the ages of 12 and 17. Um, and the reason because of that is because if you're not born into a house that has, you know, good support who cares? Who cares if I do it? Who cares if I don't do it? Nothing I do matters. And so that's where you get into that toxic mentality that we've got to teach kids to, to grow out of. And so it starts in the homes. It starts in the curriculum in schools. And it can't just be scare tactics because we know kids, they don't care. <laughs> if you tell them not to push the red button, they go, yeah, but red's my favorite color. So, I mean, we have yeah. to be able to, to teach them things and give them these tools. And so even if at the end of the day, they didn't listen to hardly anything, or even if I mean, there was a school I went to and I was, uh, I finished speaking. It was during Red Ribbon Week and there was maybe 700 kids in this auditorium. Oh my God. And these kids, they were asking questions that weren't questions, but just to kind of like be funny or throw me off and had nothing to do with anything. And they were talking while I was talking and just joking around and some of them fell asleep probably. And I remember thinking, I got up at six in the morning and did my hair and makeup and I came here and it's raining outside 
and I thought I was going to make a difference. And I have been speaking for 45 minutes and not a single soul has heard me. And so I was so dejected and I, you know, had started taking my crown off and stuff so I could walk outside and and not because I'm, you know, don't walk outside in it in case I stop traffic. I don't know. Um, and so I was taking my, my crown and sash off and the counselor came up to me and she handed me a note. She had tears in her eyes and I'm thinking, great, I made this lady cry because of how bad my speech was. Um, <laughs> but she said, that was the best speech that I've heard in my, you know, however many years of teaching. Um, and I was thinking, okay, well, maybe I wasn't so bad. And then the, the vice principal came up to me and said, hey, I'm so sorry if you need to leave. But we had seven, I think it was seven or eight kids who got in trouble and got put in school suspension that morning um, because they had been caught vaping before school. And these were seventh graders and they had gotten in school suspension for vaping. And so she said, you know, we let them still come to the event because we felt like if anyone needed it, it was them. And they said that they would like for you to talk with them privately afterwards because what you said really meant something to them. And so I stayed a little bit later and I was in a dress and just sat down on the floor with them and just was able to talk to them about, you know, why they were doing what they're doing and, and why they felt like they had to go along with everybody and, and the bullying wow. process that went with it. And so out of those 800 kids, only those eight got anything out of it. But if you can stop those eight from continuing a substance abuse issue, then you've done a, a purpose. And that's, I mean, we've seen that, especially in Latin America where we have um, the war on drugs going on with the US and then going in there and people are saying, we're only stopping 2% of the drugs that come over the border. But that 2% affects 2 million people. That 2% of drugs could be the difference between one person trying cocaine for the first time or for the last time. And so 2% matters when you put it into the prospect of people. You can't quantitate people, you have to qualitate them. And so that's why I think drug-free America and just like the drug-free action in general is so needed, especially at ground zero, which is our schools. A hundred percent. I agree with everything you said. And you know, what's interesting though, and we won't get too much into this because it would lead to a whole other podcast, but a four hour podcast episode with us (laughs) is that the truth is, is that we had been doing a really good job reducing drug use in our country, um, especially even in New York City. There was a big cleanup of New York City in the early 90s by one of the mayors that really cleaned up a lot of what was happening with heroin. And the truth is we actually have been making a big difference. Unfortunately, it reminds me of the microcosm of the bar scene, right? Like, so we're, yeah. we're in a bar, and one person comes up to you and they make this big stink about you not holding a drink, right? And so it's one person, but they speak so loudly, you think it's everyone, right? So yep. same thing in, in, in our country. Unfortunately, there are people who, who make money off of people being on drugs who would like people to think that it wasn't working so we could give up. Yeah. And that's not really the truth of the situation. We we are making a difference. And my feeling about your event is that the kids who probably were making you feel that way were the few, but because they're so loud, they mm-hmm. make you feel like it's everyone. But I bet you of those 700 kids, the majority of them were sitting there actually really listening. Not just the six in the in-school suspension, but the majority. Yeah. That's just my feeling. 
Well, and so you mentioned something earlier about how everything is constantly evolving and there's always going to be something, something that people are saying you're not doing or should be doing. And so that's actually quite literally what we've seen when it, it comes to drugs in America and the history we've seen. We saw in the 60s, it was weed. And then in the 70s, it became cocaine. And that followed into the 80s. The 90s had heroin and we had meth. And now we have all kinds of designer and synthetic drugs. And right now we have opioids is our big one. But yes. who knows in 10 years, if I have children, what drug they're going to be susceptible to. And that's because everything's constantly changing. There's always going to be something new and better. And if one becomes illegal, we'll just make another one. Or if one does become legal, we'll figure out a way to still black market it so we don't have to pay taxes on it. And then just make something else that's bigger and better and has a bigger high or more adrenaline that's added to it. And we're going to constantly be fighting this fight. And so the thing that we can't let happen is burnout. Yes. Continuing to teach people, people like us who teach younger kids that this is something that matters. And then those younger kids know that that matters and can continue teaching it when they're older. I 100% agree. Well, the interesting thing is that the people that we do work with and that are involved in our nonprofit, sports people, celebrities, artists, all these various people, they're most of the successful people that I meet are on the same page. And I think it's just a matter of us all staying together and staying united and continuing to talk about this, that we will make a difference. And that's actually what's been exciting about the work we have been doing with Drug Free World the past couple of years is we've really gotten partnerships with lots of sports figures. And mm -hmm. sports figures are the role models of lots of little kids out there. Oh, yeah. And they can't be like actually just, and you would understand this from a medical viewpoint, you can't actually exercise and work out and be successful as an athlete if you're using drugs. It's just point blank. It's just the way that it is. So oh, it's yeah. also just practical knowledge of them realizing, oh yeah, if I want to achieve that, I can't just be smoking weed every day after school. I'm going to have to be exercising. So getting them to really think about, again, what do they want to be when they get older and what is it really going to take to get there? Well, and that's what's so funny about the vaping thing now is because when it started, everyone said, oh, it's so much healthier and it can't hurt you. And it's, it's not actually smoke. And then what people don't realize is so in the vape pen, those little pods are liquid. And yet somehow between the time that it leaves that little pod and get, travels two inches and gets into your mouth, it turns into a mist. Well, we've all had sixth grade physics. That's by steam and that's by heating it up. So you have something that's heating up electronically and the most rapid rate possible. Chemicals aren't made to be heated up that quickly and be safe, but also you're heating it up and you're inhaling a steam essentially. And so when steam hits that soft tissue of your, of your lungs, um, it's creating a effect called glass lung. And so you're seeing all these kids and usually that was something that happened to people who worked in mines and who worked in the coal fields and who had to inhale all that, the hot air constantly. It, it basically just kind of crystallized the lung tissue. We're seeing that in kids as young as 17. And so these kids are setting themselves up for having continuous lung issues, having breathing issues. And now we have a virus that attacks your respiratory system I mean, when this whole vaping thing happened, I mean, this was October that really, I think the whole war on vaping started. 
coronavirus was the last thing on our minds. We had never dealt with a pandemic before. The last one was 1914. Most of the people who would have lived through that aren't alive today. And so now we ha do have a respiratory virus that's attacking us. And those 17 year olds, the ones who should be incredibly healthy are the ones that are incredibly susceptible. And so it's teaching kids that Google can be smart, but it, you, no, Google's not smarter than a physician. Google is, is not entirely true. What you see on the internet is not entirely true. And what, what you are seeing is going to be propaganda. And a lot, of, I, I read another study showing that the majority of kids today, if you read something, um, they're not able to discern what is fact and what is opinion. And wow. so you can read something and they think like, oh yeah, no, it's written there. And so therefore it's a fact. And you're going, uh-uh, you can look at the language. You can see the fact that he owns the vaping company. Um, the cigarette wow. companies that have stock inside these vaping companies. So yeah, cigarette companies that have, you know, kind of become obsolete are going to tell you to keep vaping because it's better than cigarettes because they're still getting that profit from it. So discerning what's fact and fiction, I mean, we can travel that line all the way up and even to the political realm, but what we need to focus on is teaching kids that just because you read it doesn't mean it's true. Wow. That's unbelievable. I would love to see that article if you still know where it is. I think I can still find it. I know the New York Times is the one that reported on it and they have the little hyperlink to it. So if I can go back and like, wow. find it, I definitely will send it to you. Wow. All right. Well, let's, let's go backwards for a second now. Okay. So this is what I want to ask you, and it looks like we've been talking for a long time here, so, but I want to make sure that, <laughs> yeah, we, we could probably talk all day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, this is a good thing. We, this is how we want the podcast to be. Don't apologize. Now what I want us to focus on is tell the people who are listening right now how you got into pageantry and, and how you became Miss Arkansas. How did this all come about? So I actually, my mother did um, some pageants when she was younger. And so when I turned 13, I was eligible to start competing in the Miss Arkansas Outstanding Teen System. And she put me in this pageant and I hated it. I swore I was never doing another pageant for as long as I lived. And it was awful. I was miserable. I was a tomboy through and through. I grew up riding horses. I never wore makeup. I didn't want to cut my hair, let alone brush it. So I all of a sudden was on stage, but the one thing that I really liked was the interview. And even back then, interview was about eight minutes for teens. And so I remember I was 13 and they asked me about the Obama stimulus package. And in my 13 year old brain, I said, well, you know, I think some of it could be very useful, but I also think there are a lot of pieces that need to be talked about because they're not incredibly relevant right now. And in the back of my head, as I'm saying that, I'm going, yeah, I'm really smart. Um, and so I have always been just really good at interview. And I was even back then kind of politically active just because my parents watched the news and so I watched it with them. And so then hated the pageant though, had really bad stage fright, couldn't do it. But then when I was 17, I realized that the Miss America organization is the number one scholarship provider for women. And so I wanted to find a way to pay for school. And so when I was 18, I went to Miss Arkansas for the first time and I made top 10. And then wow. I went back the second time as a 19 year old after my freshman year of college and didn't even place. My name was not called once except for I got overall interview that year. So, and Savvy Shields, that was the year that she ended up winning Miss Arkansas and became Miss America. So winning interview, I was like, you know what? I, that's okay. I can win if I like can, can beat Miss America in interview, I guess. 
Um, but I, I really considered not going back after that. Cause I was like, okay, well maybe my first year was a fluke because if I, there's no way that I could have won overall interview and not even made the top 15. That's just not how that works. Um, but I really wanted to be Miss University of Arkansas. Um, that was my college. I wanted to represent them. So I went back and became first runner up. Wow. And that was something that was honestly a lot harder to deal with than a lot of people would think of because I mean, with being first runner up alone, I got $10,000 in scholarships. That's incredible. And I should have been over the moon. And I was, I, I really was. And I really accomplished something. So I never, I never would have dreamed, even though I always said I was going to be Miss Arkansas, I would have never dreamed that I would have made the top five, but getting so close and still failing, there was a lot of, well, what if I had just done this? What if I had just X or what if I had, you know, and so I sat there and what if myself into like a, a mental chasm. And so then the next year I went back and became second runner up. So I went backwards. And so I was going to be done. I was done. I was going to med school. I didn't have time for the pageant stuff anymore. I was done. Wow. And I didn't get into med school. And so when I didn't get into med school, I was like, well, I guess I'll give it one more go. I mean, no one ever goes back to Miss Arkansas five times. Um, because either you win or you get the hint by then um, to stop going back. And so I just figured I would go back because worst case, I could get more money for school. And so I ended up winning my fifth year, um, went to Miss America in December and made some of the greatest friends I could have ever imagined. Um, Miss Texas and I are very close, Miss California, Miss Tennessee, Missouri, North Carolina, like we're all, the six of us are very, very close. And came back and just realized that, you know, I did fail four times, but the fifth time is the one that mattered. And so it, it just goes back into not getting into medical school. And then there was still a silver lining. I just couldn't see it back in February, but I, I kept going, not winning Miss Arkansas and then continuing to go on after that and getting to go to Miss America and, and getting to speak to all these different schools. And so that's how I, I came up with it. And after Miss America, all the scholarships I can gain from the Miss America system are done. And over the course of five years, I've gotten over $100,000 in scholarships. And that is the oh most money that God. any woman who has never become Miss America and yet competed, that is the record. So I've set a record for scholarship earnings in the Miss America system, um, which is great because wow. medical school is very expensive. But I'm lucky that I won't see a bill from the University of Arkansas for medical sciences. I'm not going to see a bill from them until my third year. So I'm already, and I, and I have no undergraduate debt from the University of Arkansas, which is a land grant SEC state university um, they, that paid for all of my school as well. So see the, the reason why this is amazing is not only did you persevere all these years, but because see, if you didn't, this would have never happened. But the fact that you did do it and you persevered, now you're Miss Arkansas for two years. Like, oh my gosh. She, she competed too much. We need to at least give her another year. <laughs> amazing that is amazing and it makes such a big difference too because the first couple of years I mean I I competed because I, I wanted the scholarship money and I wanted the shiny hat that goes with it and then after my third year when I really started focusing on you know like what does Miss Arkansas do for a year if she's not in classes I realized the amount of a difference that she can make and I like there's letters that I've gotten from schools that I went to and people who have contacted me or sent emails or that I've sent autographs to. And there's such a difference that you can make just by 
being in the world and, and being a light for other people and just trying to make a difference. And so every Miss Arkansas has a platform and mine has been know who you are and, and drug abuse prevention. Um, but whether if it had been that or volunteering or something, I still would have been able to do something that resonated with somebody somewhere. And I think it's important to teach every kid to do that, whether or not they ever want to be Miss Arkansas or Miss America, or they want to be a professional football player, find something that you think that you can change in the world for the better. And if you have that type of cause, it's going to push you to do great things. Absolutely. And you know what? I think that last line says it all. That is everything that we're all about. And I know that the Miss America organization is all about is inspiring people to achieve their dreams. And that's Mm -hmm. what you get to see. And that's what you get to project to people when you speak to them. And I personally applaud you for what you're doing and what you're speaking about and for being so certain in how you feel and what you've experienced. That's really amazing. And to be able to describe everything you're saying and, and, and how you speak to the kids and so on definitely sounds like you're doing an amazing job. I know that you will continue doing unbelievable things <laughs> as Miss Arkansas and then continuing as a doctor and working with kids if you eventually do go down that route. I'm trying to go pediatrics for sure. Yes, (laughs) Yes. well, I I know that you can do it. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. We really, really appreciate it. I hope that all of our listeners got out of this that there are still people in this world who are excited about what they're doing and who are inspiring kids and teens to be greater and not have to, you mentioned the group think before, you don't have to do that. You can be your own person. You can know who you are, which is your platform (laughs) and achieve your goals. And I think if that's one thing a person needs to know in life, that says it all. So thank you for doing what you're doing. No, thank you so much for having me. This has been a great study break, but also a, a true honor to be, to be considered to be on your celebrity podcast lineup and to yeah. continue to have these conversations and just to be able to do my part. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And for those who are listening, you can also track with what Miss Arkansas is doing. I know that she has a website where you can book her to speak. Yes. MissArkansas.org. The Instagram is Miss America AR, and I have a Twitter, but I don't use Twitter because I feel like I'm not that funny to use Twitter. Um, (laughs) So mainly what I do is either on the website or it's on the Instagram. But yeah, reach out to me. I would love to be able to come home. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Thanks, guys.